Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. In this episode, we'll be doing some necessary introductions, talking about backup batteries, a night spent at Severe Lake, a product review of the 12-volt oven from RoadPro, and a place to visit called Lunar Lake. We'll also be throwing in some random recommendations and things as we proceed. Now, this podcast is not going to be scripted. I've done many podcasts in the past, and um, we'll talk about them as the course of things go, I'm sure. This one, I'm just going to ramble. I'm just going to pick topics and go for it, because that seems to be the more genuine, honest way to do a podcast like this, which is going to be basically about my opinion, the opinions of folks I've interviewed, and just what it's like to be out there in a van. So every episode is going to have uh, different sections, uh, a little bit of tech talk, a little bit about what it's like on the road, some stories, some recommendations, things like that. The goal of this podcast is to create for you a companion, something to listen to while you're working on your van, while you're driving in your van, or while you're just kicking back wishing you were in your van. That said, let's jump right in. So as I said before, my name is Jeff Wagg. I'm a 53-year-old white heterosexual male living in the northwest section of Chicago. I have a wife, two cats, a zebra finch, and two chickens. And yes, as you have probably figured out, I have a sticks and bricks home. For me, van life is something I do on extended trips when I have a mission. I will hop into my van and head out for a few weeks at a time. So... Right up front, let me say that I am not a full-time van lifer, so my experiences are colored by that. That said, I have built my own van from scratch, and I have spent many, many weeks out there from coast to coast in the United States, and I've had many, many experiences that you might find interesting or perhaps useful. And also, part of doing a podcast is that I hope to learn more myself, so based on your comments and feedback, I will know more about this than when I started. Uh, My van, which uh, you're probably curious about if you're into van life, is a 2014 NV200 cargo van. In a former life, it was actually a Dairy Queen maintenance vehicle, and I was able to figure this out based on some receipts I found in the glove box and a ghost sign on the van that if the light is right, you can just see this big Dairy Queen logo. So uh, I I don't know what the poor thing did for the 111,000 miles it did before I met it, Um, but when I got it, it was in pretty good shape. Mechanically, everything seemed to work. It was kind of dirty, but I cleaned it up and then went straight into the build process. Currently, the van is finished. Now, in van life, one of the uh, most important things to know is that there's no such thing as finished. If you own a camper van that you built yourself, you will always be tweaking it or adding things or thinking about new things. I can't tell you how much time I've spent just sitting in the back looking and thinking, hmm, what if I changed this? Or what if that was over there? And that's part of the joy of it, is you're constantly improving this thing, making it better at what you want it to do. My van is what you might call a micro van. It is a cargo van. Uh, In the U.S., these vans are designed only for cargo. They do not make a passenger version. Think of them as like a minivan. It's about the size of a minivan. But in my case, there are no windows at all except for the front windows. So I can't see out the back and there's no windows on the dual sliders. 
Now, being a microvan, a minivan, it has challenges that full-size vans don't have. For one thing, I can't stand up. I can't even come close to standing up in this thing. Also, the length of the back is exactly 75 inches, and being 6 feet tall, I am 72 inches, so you can see that my options for a bed were fairly limited. Uh, also, it has little tiny wheels, and it has the type of suspension that has a big bar between the back wheels, making it uh, distinctly not an off-road vehicle. However, people have managed to get these things in places, including myself. I, I've been out to ghost towns in the Nevada desert without too much trouble. So that was my van. That's what I was working with. There is no limit to what you can turn into a camper van. Um, before I drove this van, I had a smart car. And I have seen videos of folks who have turned smart cars into campers. Toyota Prius is a very common vehicle used to turn into a camper. I know it sounds crazy, but Priuses have a lot going for them. For example, you can run the heater and the air conditioner all the time, even while you're sleeping, without any worries of running down a battery, which is a pretty big deal, actually. But, you know, when most people talk about van life, they're thinking of the Sprinter van or the old E350 or 250 or 150. And as far as I'm concerned, everything's cool, everything's valid, um... This podcast is for anybody who is living mobile, however you want to do it. I'm going to try to include things that are of interest to all different types of vans and types of van life, including trailers. I know uh, there's a, a trend now where people will buy a cargo trailer and convert that into a, a camper, which I think is a great idea. I can imagine a lot of freedom with that. So, now, my van is uh, fairly stealth. If you're not familiar with that term, um, stealth vanning is the idea that you want your van to be kind of invisible to prying eyes. You want it to look just like a work truck. Uh, something that won't gather attention, giving you the ability to park it in places where you might not be able to park something that looks like an RV. There's a lot to say about stealth vans, and I'm going to save that for another podcast. But uh, mine is fairly stealth. I have done a test where I've taken it to a Home Depot parking lot and asked somebody to figure out which one is my van, and they weren't able to do it. Uh, it looked just like all the other contractor vans in the parking lot. Now, an experienced camper van person will be able to see, oh, gee, those look like solar panels. I bet it's that one. And I'm positive the police aren't being fooled. But I can park pretty much anywhere I want, and as long as I'm not making a lot of noise, nobody's going to notice or care. So that was where I was coming from with the camper van thing. I wanted basically a vehicle that I could sleep in and live out of and just travel. So I didn't have to rely on hotels or campgrounds or anything. I want to be able to get in there and go. And that's it. And I've managed to accomplish that. And I'm, I'm thrilled with it. And I'm thrilled to be part of this. I don't know if you want to call it a lifestyle or a movement or whatever it is. Uh, it's certainly not new. People have been doing this since vehicles were invented. But I am thrilled to be back on the road, as they say. So enough about me. This podcast isn't going to be about me, but I'm sure parts will come up. I just needed to give that background about where I'm coming from. Okay, tech talk. My entire van can be plugged into a cigarette lighter outlet and be powered. Now... That's not something I've seen anybody do, and if you're an experienced person working with van electrical systems, you have a bunch of questions right now, which I will try to answer. And the first off you have to understand is I'm not running all that much back there. I'm not using that much power. 
I decided to go just 12 volts so I don't have an inverter. Now, technically I do, but I don't actually use it very often. I've used it maybe twice. And then I just got some LED lights. I've got an on-demand 12 volt water pump, which doesn't use much at all. And I've got some fans. And I don't even have a Max Air fan or a Fantastic fan. I just have a, it was a one of those little round mushroom style fans. That's, that's the biggest power draw I have. All this stuff draws so little power that I can actually get that under 15 amps or even under 10 amps, allowing me to use a cigarette lighter plug. And now you may be thinking, why do this? Why not just go straight to the battery? And the answer is flexibility. Because I have everything going to a cigarette lighter plug, I can plug that in anywhere. So I have a main battery bank that terminates into a cigarette lighter socket plug. And I can just plug into there, and that's where I normally am, and that's powering the back of my van. Everything's great. But I also have a backup battery. Um, if you've not heard of Goal Zero, you will. Um, or Kodiak, or there's a bunch of... Or Jackery is a very common one. Th these are... They call them solar generators, and I hate that term because they're neither solar nor a generator. What they are is big lithium batteries that you can plug things into, and I have a clone. It's a Chinese clone of one of those, and that is my backup battery. And I wanted to talk about backup batteries specifically because they're a great idea for a number of reasons. So as I said, my van is all powered up to a cigarette lighter plug, so I can just move that around. I literally just unplug it and plug it somewhere else, and I have three places I can plug it in. I can plug it in to the main batteries I have back there. I can actually plug it into the starter battery system, which I never, ever do except in an emergency, and then always while the van is running, because to me, the starter battery is sacred and shall never be used for anything except starting the van. And then I have this backup battery. And the nice thing about the backup battery is it's enough power for me to run my fans all night long. And for me, that's my biggest concern, is that I'm going to do something wrong, I'm going to discharge my batteries, and it's going to be 9 o'clock at night, and then I have no fans. I am addicted to fans. I can't sleep without them. So having this backup battery really gives me a, a peace, peace of mind. It's just great to know that no matter what I do during the day, and I do have a solar hookup, even if my solar fails, everything fails, I will still have this battery to get me through the night. Now, the other thing is, is that having a, being a backup battery that's small, it's like, it's a little tiny suitcase. Um, it's hard to, it's like a lunchbox. Let's say it's the size of a lunchbox. I can carry that with me anywhere and say, go to Starbucks and plug it in and have a cup of coffee and work on a blog entry or do Facebook or some work or whatever and charge that battery. Or I can plug it into the cigarette lighter of the engine of the van and charge it while I'm driving. Uh, this gives me incredible flexibility. I, and I can charge it via solar, but I, I often find that that's not necessary because, um, well, first off, I want the solar to be charging the main batteries. And with this thing, I'll just plug it in while I'm driving and charge it, and, and it does just fine. So... Consider, in your build, having a backup battery. Think about what you're doing that you absolutely need to do at night, and then have a battery in reserve that you don't use regularly just to get you through the night. Because those are going to be your worst moments. When you're out in the van, and it's the middle of the night, and you have no power, you have no lights, 
just plan on that ahead of time. And I find a backup battery is a good way to do it. My backup battery was $150. Um, depending on what you need, you can spend less and you can always spend more. Some people power their entire vans with these suitcase-style batteries, which I think is great, but it is a more expensive way to go. So anyway, that's my tech talk for today. Just consider having a backup battery that you don't use regularly, that you can charge in many different ways, and it will help you get through the night. Tales from the road. So I'm, I'm driving west. My ultimate goal was to get to Aurora, Nevada, which is a ghost town about 20 miles from Hawthorne, Nevada, right on the California border. And I, uh, yeah, it was time to figure out where I was going to spend the night. So I'm in western Utah, well past Salt Lake. In fact, I was well south of Salt Lake, having just come from Aurora, Utah. You may see the theme here. Like, yeah, where am I going to stay? So I look at all the apps, and there was one that recommended this place called Severe Lake. Now, if you look at a map of Utah, Severe Lake is a very large place. It, it, it takes up a good portion of the western central part of the state, and it's a dry lake bed. I'd always wanted to go to a dry lake bed. Uh, I'd always wanted to drive out there. Uh, but it was already getting dark, so I was like, well, I don't know. And I looked at the map that came with it. And uh, it looked like it was doable, so being more adventurous than smart, I decided to actually go check it out. And I saw the turnoff and turned off the pavement onto the dirt road, and it instantly turned into a you know two-track with a high center that I could actually feel and hear and smell the sagebrush kind of rubbing against the underneath of the van. <laughs> and then the jackrabbits came. So imagine this, I'm driving through the desert and it's pitch black. I'm just seeing what my headlights can show. And jackrabbits are running left and right and all in front of the van. And I'm slowing down and they're smart. They're not going to get hit. But it's just an amazing thing. All these jackrabbits, there must have been dozens of them just running and running and running. And then occasionally some unusual birds would fly in front of the van. I don't know what they were. They were too fast. And after about 25 minutes of this, the scene turns white. The plants start to fade away, and then it just becomes flat and white, but still dark. It wasn't really light enough that I could make out any features. It was just that all the features kind of just disappeared and faded into this murky whiteness, as strange as that sounds. So I found a clearing that looked like it was a place where I could park that was off the road. That's a good thing. And I pulled up onto a little bit of a hill, so I'm kind of in this place where you couldn't accidentally run into me because I don't know what goes on here at night and I don't, I don't, I don't want to park in the middle of the road, which is actually a danger. Uh, if you're looking for a campground in the middle of the night, you may think you're at a campground, but you actually may be in the middle of the road. But I found a spot that looked like it was safe and I parked out there and I turned off all the lights and I opened the van door and then just stood. And I heard nothing. Absolute silence. And I looked up, and I could see every single star that anyone has ever seen. The entire full Milky Way was present. There was no moon. It didn't take me long to start picking out satellites or space junk or whatever was up there. Apparently, the way you can tell the difference is that space 
junk blinks. If you look up in the sky and you see a moving star that's blinking, what you're actually seeing is a rotating piece of space junk, you know, maybe an, a, an expended rocket motor or a piece of a satellite or whatever. That's just a little bit of knowledge there that I picked up that I thought was pretty cool. Satellites are solid, uh, don't blink, and they just move steadily in a straight line. I could see all that. It was amazing. And of course, you know, I'm out there with my iPhone. I'm going to take a picture of this. Yeah, no, there was, there was no picture taking. But it was just one of those nice moments. I was tired, first off. I had just driven for maybe 10 hours, and I, I wasn't ready to explore, especially not at night. I'm traveling by myself. I don't know what's out there. So I just walked around a little bit and experienced that moment. But I did notice to the north, almost exactly north, there was this really bright light. It was um, definitely man-made light. It, this was this was not a star or anything like that. And I could tell it was far enough away that they probably couldn't see me. It was just like some big spotlight or something. I don't know what it was, or at least, I, well, technically I still don't. But I was like, okay, so there's probably some other campers and they're doing something, so I'm not going to worry about that. Okay, I spend the night super quiet, sleep well, wake up in the morning, and I find out that I am not actually where I thought I was. I thought I had parked, like, on the edge of the lake. And what I had actually done is parked on a bluff overlooking the lake. And I was maybe a quarter of a mile from the actual lake bed, uh, which I was a little disappointed because I couldn't walk there very easily. And uh, I was on this, like, mound of salt. It was very odd. I was determined that I was going to drive on a lake bed. So I went out there and tried to walk there to see if I could find a way to drive there and just wasn't able to. So I get back in the van and I head back to the road and I find there's this little off turn that I didn't take the night before. So I take the off turn and I'm driving along kind of the shore of the lake, but still on this bluff. I'm not, I'm not down at the lake level. I'm maybe 20 feet above it. And uh, this road is fairly well-traveled, so uh, you know I could tell by the, the tire tracks and such that this road was used often, so I felt pretty confident. And I knew I was heading back to Route 6, the main drag there. I'm getting there, and I'm almost at Route 6. I can kind of see where it is in the distance, and then there's this wide open area on the left, almost like um, somebody had built a parking lot or something. I, this, this area had clearly been graded and made for some use that I am not aware of, but there was dried mud and salt 20 feet high all around this. So it was almost like a man-made crater in the shape of a keyhole, and you could drive into the keyhole. And there's a boat. At this point, I hadn't realized that this is about exactly where that light was coming from that I saw the night before. And I do think that this is where the light was coming from, because what I found here is just bizarre. So I drove in and parked the van, and uh, there's no people here, but there is this boat, and it is a, you know, it's an old, maybe 1940s, 50s, or 60s motorboat, an outboard motorboat that has a steering wheel, but there's no motor. So it was one of those where the steering wheel had linkages back to an outboard motor, and a couple of seats, you know, no cabin or anything, just a little boat, uh, all by itself, just sitting in the middle. There's no trailer or anything, but there are a lot of fairly fresh tire tracks around it. And on the side of this boat, in giant letters, like taking up the entire boat, it says, poor boy, exclamation point. Somebody tagged this or something. Like, okay, well, you know, that's people spray paint things. That's how they are. And uh, I wish they wouldn't, but they do. And I look inside the boat, 
and there's stuff in there. Now, you might expect to find beer cans or trash or something like that, but what I find is just weird. First thing I find is a black wig, like a long black wig, and it wasn't all matted or sun-bleached or anything. It looked like it had just been put there. And next to it was a bra, bright blue bra, and next to that were some panties. So something happened here, and... You know, these these were bright magenta red panties. Um, and I don't... <laughs> honestly, there's a story here, and I'm not sure what it is. And I'm hoping it was a story as simple as somebody was making a video. Uh, and I'm hoping it's not worse than that. Uh, there was no blood. There was no sign of any trauma or anything like that. There was just the undergarments of a woman and a wig. And honestly... I don't know what to think. I'll put some pictures in the notes. You can try to decide for yourself what was going on there, but that's what I saw. Boy, I don't know what to think about that. And to finish off the story, um, I never did get to drive on Severe Lake because I found out that Severe Lake is not that dry. It is a dry lake bed, but it does occasionally flood, and that means that the the substrate, the, the bottom of the lake, is actually mud. And if you drive out there, you will get stuck, especially me in my van. And there's even a sign. Stop! <laughs> Lake bed is not dry. You will get stuck, and you will have to get towed. So, just another one of those weird things you see in the desert. Um, that's part of van life. That's part of the fun of this, is finding these strange things. If anybody happens to know the story, or happens to know who Poor Boy is, or what was going on that night in August of 2019 on Severe Lake. I would love to find out the rest of the story. I mean, even if somebody was just making a porn video, just let me know. I just, I'm curious, and I would really like to know what happened. I'd also like to know that it wasn't something horrible, because I don't know. It's the desert. Things happen out here. <laughs> anyway, that's my tale for this time. So if you're looking for a place to visit, since we're talking about salt flats, I want to talk to you about a salt flat I found that you can drive on that's actually easily accessible. Now, you're probably familiar with Bonneville Salt Flats, the famous salt flats from all the commercials and movies. That's right over the Nevada border. It's right on the Nevada-Utah border. If you're going to Wendover, Nevada, you'll see signs for it. And that's a great place to go. A lot of people go there. But there's two problems with it. One is, a lot of people go there. So if you go there to do photography, you may have trouble finding a shot without people. The other is is that it's very salty. It's a salt flat. You'll get encrusted salt all over your van or whatever you're driving, and that needs to come off. That's the kind of stuff that causes rust and other problems. So you will need to do a car wash immediately after you do this. But I found another place that is better, in my opinion. So Lunar Lake is on U.S. Route 6, which stretches all the way from California to the very tip of Cape Cod and goes through the center of Nevada. It's, it's one of these really lonely roads, the kind of roads you want to have uh, a lot of water with you and excess extra gas. But near Warm Springs, Nevada, you will see a sign that says, well, it doesn't say Lunar Lake. It says Lunar Crater because Lunar Lake is a dry lake bed on the way to Lunar Crater. And it'll take you about 20, 25 minutes to get there from pavement. If you want, go all the way to Lunar Crater. Lunar Crater is actually a cool place. It's a volcano that you can drive to in a normal two-wheel two drive vehicle that 
kind of looks like the moon. In fact, NASA used that spot to train the lunar astronauts in the 60s, which is why it's called Lunar Crater. So, little little bit of history there, and there's a little plaque up there. But on the way, you absolutely cannot miss Lunar Lake. It's a dry lake, and it is exactly what you want if you're looking to drive on a salt bed. Big, flat, wide open, hard surface, and unlike Bonneville, there are no salt crystals to get all over your van. It's a little bit dusty, but it isn't the same level of salt and crustacean that you can get on Bonneville. Now, I took my van out there and had a great time. Now, obviously, I'm in a van. I'm not, like, trying to set any speed records or anything. But it was nice just to go out and just drive and realize that there was nothing I could do to get in trouble. There's nothing to hit. There, you could turn the wheel any way you wanted, and you would have no problems. And it was really nice for photography. I mean, it's it's Nevada desert, so it's almost always a blue sky day. And uh, just, you know, there's nothing around, and there's no sound. It's, it's just a really nice place to be. So if you want to do salt flats, I highly recommend Lunar Lake in central Nevada. One caveat, don't do what I did. Don't drive on the lake and just start having fun and then not be able to find your way off the lake. The lake is pretty big. It's several miles long. And after driving a bit, the shoreline starts to look exactly the same everywhere. And it is not obvious where you get off this lake. You don't really leave uh, tire imprints as much as you think you might. And you can't trust them to find your way back. I ended up driving for maybe 45 minutes trying to find the way off of the lake just to get back on the dirt road. So I recommend you do something like leave an object on the lake as you enter it. Uh, Something like even like a red solo cup or um, a gas can. I don't know, something that you can see fairly easily so you can find your way back because it is not obvious. And if you do get into trouble like I did, it helps to have a satellite map downloaded, and you can kind of see it on the satellite map. But, you know, don't expect to have cell phone, cell phone service out here unless you've got satellite. So that's our place to visit for this week, Lunar Lake in central Nevada. Quick shout-out to another podcast I think you should check out. This is the one I listened to when I was building my van, and I really enjoyed it. And it's from the UK, and it's called Vans Formations. And the host's name is Feta. It's 20 episodes long. Unfortunately, Feta had to stop it due to some personal issues in her life. But for those 20 episodes, you get to hear a friendly British voice interview people about different issues about van life. And you get to learn a little bit about the differences between how things are in the UK and how things are in the US, if you're from the US. So again, that's a Van Formation podcast. You can find it in all the podcast searches, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Okay, this week's product review is something I've owned. And again, I'm not, um, I'm not getting paid for this. This is a product that I bought on my own that I've used, and I, I am going to recommend based on my own usage. This is a 12-volt oven from Road Pro. This is basically an electric lunchbox, and it's it's made for truckers. And the idea is you have, um, it's a, imagine an old-fashioned lunchbox, the kind you would flip open the lid and there'd be a thermos in the lid and then a sandwich or something underneath. It looks like that. It's black, and it has a, a little door that opens and a cord comes out, and you plug that into your cigarette lighter. And that heats up the inside to 300 degrees. What you can do with this is actually pretty amazing. 300 degrees may not sound like much, 
but it's enough to do things like heat up a can of soup or to uh, a thing I like to do is to get frozen French bread pizzas and put them in here and uh, if you dry for half an hour your, your pizza is ready to eat it's, it's good to go there uh, there's all kinds of epi- um, recipes for it online people love these things and the best thing and the whole point of this is this isn't something you're going to use when you're stopped this is something to use while you're driving you get everything set up, you plug it in, it seals tight so you don't have to worry about stuff spilling out, and then you drive. And then when you get where you're going, you have a nice hot meal waiting for you. There are other companies that make similar things. Um, this is the one I have. They cost about $35. I think they're well worth it. They're only limited by your own imagination because you can do a lot of different things. A uh, couple of tips if you do get one. They sell tin foil or it's actually aluminum foil pans that fit in there. They are great and they prevent you from making a big mess, but they're a little bit pricey. So you can make your own out of aluminum foil. Um, one thing I like to do is take a can of soup and just put the entire can in there, not open it. Just poke a pump, couple of holes in the lid and that'll let it vent. And you can put two cans of, say, Progresso soup in there side by side and they're hot enough to eat after 20 or 30 minutes of driving. As another safety thing, uh, basically as a cleanup thing, I will add about an inch of water in there. Totally safe, you're allowed to do this. And that inch of water is great because if anything does bubble over or whatever, it makes it super easy to clean up and it helps the heat to disperse more evenly because those cans of soup or whatever will be in a, a bit of steam. There is a vent on the side that lets steam out, so if you're cooking something stinky, like I've cooked fish in there, uh, you might want to aim that vent at a window or something, you know, something to consider. But check it out. They're about 35 bucks. I've got a link in the, in the show notes, and um, you'll see there's also a few other brands that cost more money. But that is the 12-volt oven from Road Pro. Well, that wraps it up for this, our very first episode. Thanks for listening. Our following episodes will have a whole lot less introduction, and we will jump right into the topics. Uh, we're going to try to get these out once a week. Music is by Simon Wagg, also known as Sir Mouge, and I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. See you next time.